0: chapter eighty six of the d'artagnan Romances, volume three part one by alexander dumas translated by william robson this librivox recording is in the public domain night concord returned to its place amid the tents english and french rivaled each other in their devotion and courteous attention to the illustrious travelers the english forwarded to the french baskets of flowers of which they had made a plentiful provision to greet the arrival of the young princess The French, in return, invited the English to a supper which was to be given the next day. Congratulations were poured in upon the princess everywhere during her journey. From the respect paid her on all sides, she seemed like a queen, and from the adoration with which she was treated by two or three, she appeared an object of worship. The queen-mother gave the French the most affectionate reception. France was her native country, and she had suffered too much unhappiness in England for England to have made her forget France she taught her daughter then by her own affection for it that love for a country where they had both been hospitably received and where a brilliant future opened before them after the public entry was over and the spectators in the streets had partially dispersed and the sound of the music and cheering of the crowd could be heard only in the distance when the night had closed in wrapping with its star-covered mantle the sea the harbour the town and surrounding country De Guiche still excited by the great events of the day returned to his tent and seated himself upon one of the stools with so profound an expression of distress that bragelonne kept his eyes fixed on him until he heard him sigh and then he approached him the count had thrown himself back on his seat leaning his shoulders against the partition of the tent and remained thus his face buried in his hands with heaving chest and restless limbs you are suffering asked raoul cruelly bodily i suppose yes bodily this has indeed been a harassing day continued the young man as eyes fixed upon his friend yes a night's rest will probably restore me shall i leave you no i wish to talk to you you shall not speak to me guiche until you have first answered my questions Proceed, then. You will be frank with me. I always am. Can you imagine why Buckingham has been so violent? I suspect. Because he is in love with Madame, is it not? One could almost swear it to observe him. You are mistaken. There is nothing of the kind. It is you who are mistaken, Raoul. I have read his distress in his eyes, in his every gesture and action the whole day. You are a poet, my dear Count, and find subject for your muse everywhere. I can perceive love clearly enough. Where it does not exist? Nay, where it does exist. Do you not think you are deceiving yourself, Guiche? i am convinced of what i say said the count now inform me count said raoul fixing a penetrating look upon him what has happened to render you so clear-sighted guiche hesitated for a moment and then answered self-love i suppose self-love is a pedantic word guiche what do you mean i mean that generally You are less out of spirits than seems to be the case this evening. I am fatigued. Listen to me, Guiche. We have been campaigners together. We have been on horseback for eighteen hours at a time, and our horses dying from exhaustion or hunger have fallen beneath us, and yet we have laughed at our mishaps. Believe me, it is not fatigue that saddens you tonight. It is annoyance, then. What annoyance? that of the evening!" "The mad conduct of the Duke of Buckingham, do you mean?" "Of course; is it not vexatious for us, the representatives of our sovereign master, to witness the devotion of an Englishman to our future mistress, the second lady in point of rank in the kingdom?" "Yes, you are right, but I do not think any danger is to be apprehended from Buckingham?" "No, still he is intrusive. Did he not, on his arrival here, almost succeed in creating a disturbance between the English and ourselves? And had it not been for you, for your admirable prudence, for your singular decision of character, swords would have been drawn in the very streets of the town. You observe, however, that he has changed his tactics? Yes, certainly. But this is the very thing that amazes me so much. You spoke to him in a low tone what did you say to him you think he loves her you admit that such a passion does not give way readily he does not love her then De guiche pronounced the latter with so marked an expression that raoul raised his head the noble character of the young man's countenance expressed a displeasure which could easily be read what i said to him count replied raoul i will repeat to you listen to me I said you are regarding with wistful feelings and most injurious desire the sister of your prince. Her to whom you are not affianced, who is not, who can never be anything to you, you are outraging those who, like ourselves, have come to seek a young lady to escort her to her husband.' "'You spoke to him in that manner?' asked Guiche, colouring. "'In those very terms I even added more. "'How would you regard us?' I said if you were to perceive among us a man mad enough disloyal enough to entertain other than sentiments of the most perfect respect for a princess who is the destined wife of our master these words were so applicable to de guiche that he turned pale and overcome by a sudden agitation was barely able to stretch out one hand mechanically toward raoul as he covered his eyes and face with the other but continued raoul not interrupted by this movement of his friend heaven be praised the french who are pronounced to be thoughtless and indiscreet reckless even are capable of bringing a calm and sound judgment to bear on matters of such high importance i added even more for i said learn my lord that we gentlemen of france devote ourselves to our sovereigns by sacrificing for them our affections as well as our fortunes and our lives and whenever it may chance to happen that the tempter suggests one of those vile thoughts that set the heart on fire we extinguish the flame even if it has to be done by shedding our blood for the purpose thus it is that the honor of three is saved our countries our masters and our own it is thus that we act your grace it is thus that every man of honor ought to act in this manner my dear guiche continued raoul i addressed the duke of buckingham and he admitted i was right and he resigned himself unresistingly to my arguments De Guiche, who had hitherto sat leaning forward while Raoul was speaking, drew himself up, his eyes glancing proudly, he seized Raoul's hand, his face, which had been as cold as ice, seemed on fire, "And you spoke magnificently," he said, in a half-choked voice, "you are indeed a friend, Raoul, but now, I entreat you, leave me to myself!" "Do you wish it?" "Yes, I need repose many things have agitated me today both in mind and body when you return tomorrow i shall no longer be the same man i leave you then said raoul as he withdrew the count advanced a step toward his friend and pressed him warmly in his arms but in this friendly pressure raoul could detect the nervous agitation of a great internal conflict the night was clear starlit and splendid the tempest had passed away and the sweet influences of the evening had restored life peace and security everywhere a few fleecy clouds were floating in the heavens and indicated from their appearance a continuance of beautiful weather tempered by a gentle breeze from the east upon the large square in front of the hotel the shadows of the tents intersected by the golden moonbeams formed as it were a huge mosaic of jet and yellow flagstones soon however the entire town was wrapped in slumber a feeble light still glimmered in Madame's apartment, which looked out upon the square, and the soft rays from the expiring lamp seemed to be the image of the calm sleep of a young girl, hardly yet sensible of life's anxieties, and in whom the flame of existence sinks placidly as sleep steals over the body. Bragelonne quitted the tent with the slow and measured step of a man, curious to observe, but anxious not to be seen. Sheltered behind the thick curtains of his own tent, embracing with a glance the whole square, He noticed that after a few moments' pause the curtains of de Guiche's tent were agitated, and then drawn partially aside. Behind them he could perceive the shadow of de Guiche, his eyes glittering in the obscurity, fastened ardently upon the princess's sitting apartment, which was partially lighted by the lamp in the inner room. The soft light which illumined the windows was the count's star. The fervent aspirations of his nature could be read in his eyes raoul concealed in the shadow divined the many passionate thoughts that established between the tent of the young ambassador and the balcony of the princess a mysterious and magical bond of sympathy a bond created by thoughts imprinted with so much strength and persistence of will that they must have caused happy and loving dreams to alight upon the perfumed couch which the count with his eyes of his soul devoured so eagerly but de guiche and raoul were not the only watchers the window of one of the houses looking on the square was opened too the casement of the house where Buckingham resided. By the aid of the rays of light which issued from this latter, the profile of the duke could be distinctly seen as he indolently reclined upon the carved balcony with its velvet hangings. He also was breathing in the direction of the princess's apartments, his prayers, and the wild visions of his love. Raoul could not resist smiling. As thinking of madame, he said to himself, hers is indeed a heart well besieged and then added compassionately as he thought of monsieur, and he is a husband well threatened too. It is a good thing for him that he is a prince of such high rank, that he has an army to safeguard for him that which is his own. Bragelonne watched for some time the conduct of the two lovers, listened to the loud and uncivil slumbers of Manicamp, who snored as imperiously as though he was wearing his blue and gold instead of his violet suit then he turned toward the night breeze which bore toward him he seemed to think the distant song of the nightingale and after having laid in a due provision of melancholy another nocturnal malady he retired to rest thinking with regard to his own love affair that perhaps four or even a larger number of eyes quite as ardent as those of de guiche and buckingham were coveting his own idol in the chateau at blois and mademoiselle de montalais is by no means a very conscientious garrison said he to himself, sighing aloud. End of chapter eighty six, recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.